0: Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. We interview people who have dealt with the trickiest of health challenges, but eventually learn to get well and stay well, naturally. Now it's time to hear from one of our detectives and learn how another health issue has been solved. We hope you enjoy the show. And this is where the FDN Thrive system is different. You're never going to catch us saying, oh, just do vegan, just do pescatarian, just do paleo, whatever. No, we are going to actually take the time to work with you as an individual, analyze the lab results, and then educate you. And of course, you're always the one making the decision, right? We're just providing the education. We're going to educate you as to what we believe might be the most optimal way for you to eat, not in general even but at this specific time in your life and at this specific point of your healing journey. Because I'll tell you from first-hand experience going through the FDN system, I am not eating the same way right now as I was three months into my protocol. Hello friends, Evan Transu here, aka Detective Ev, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. I'll be your host for today's show and in fact I'll be the only one on today's show. (laughs) It's because we needed to do a short little episode today, relatively short, about diet. Okay, in our FDN Thrive system, I'm the one, a lot of the times, I'm not the only one, but a lot of the times I'm the one getting on the calls with the people who want to be coming into the FDN Thrive program. And we're trying to figure out if it's right for them and we're explaining what we do and how it works, which we've done in other episodes, but we're breaking down one very specific piece tonight. And people always ask, well, what diet do you use? It's something that comes up a lot and it seems like it's coming up increasingly so. What diet am I going to be on? Okay, well guys, one, we don't put anyone on anything, right? These are educational consultations where you get to learn and then you can make decisions for your own health. That's what's cool about this. We're not here to diagnose or treat anything. That's not what we do. In terms of diet, though, I think if you want to get consistent results, it's pretty darn hard to be handing out the same diet everywhere. And if you've been in this space for any period of time, and I would imagine that You've had to be in here for at least several months, if not several years, if you're listening to a podcast like this, because I consider this a little more niche than the average even health podcast, then you already know this story. One day you read a book or you read an article online and someone cured cancer, cured their cancer with a a vegan diet. Next person goes on a vegan diet, has the same cancer, they deteriorate and get worse and bam, now they're not doing so well. Someone else advocates for more of a paleo-based diet, does the same thing, autoimmune disease, gone. Someone else does it, still continues to struggle with that same autoimmune disease for years to come. So what is happening that there are so many different diets out there that have gotten so many different results for so many different people? Because, I mean, I'm just listening to two of the major ones tonight. I mean, we could sit here and probably talk about 50 or 100 even. And I'm being serious. That's the actual number. 50 or 100 diets, if not more, that have actually made mainstream news and media at one point or time. They've been on the bookshelves in Barnes & Noble. They've been spread around to everyone and their brother online. They've been shared even on, like, again, like a local news type of thing. Like, oh, this new diet or this new trend. And some of them work really well for some people. (laughs) And then the same thing that works really not so well for other people. We at FDN Thrive, for this exact reason, never, ever, ever educate people on just one specific type of diet. You don't really need to be a genius to see that that would be doing our clients a disservice. And why is it a disservice? It's a disservice because if you're looking around and seeing that, okay, paleo worked for these uh, this percentage of people. Vegan worked for this percentage of people. Pescatarian worked for this percentage of people. But a good portion did not get benefit from any of these things. Well, we know no one thing can be the answer then. I think we would have hit on it by now if just one thing was the answer. It's almost as if And hear me out on this. I know this sounds crazy. It is almost as if within a world of 7 billion people and counting, maybe, just maybe, there isn't a one-size-fits-all diet. Whoa, okay. (laughs) I know. That's shocking. Pause if you need to. Take a little breather. And I'm being sarcastic, obviously, but... How many times do you see this get promoted online still to this day? And I'm not here to call anyone out. There are some big names doing this. Maybe instead, we could actually look at the person in front of us. And of course, we do things virtually. (laughs) But we can actually consider the person that we're talking to. We can use a series of labs to actually know what's going on in their body. And then, whoa, we could figure out what diet is right for them based on the information that we have. So what are some universal things that would probably make the most sense even without the labs? Okay, I think whole foods would be a good idea. And it's so many. Uh, it's so funny how many people think I'm talking about like whole foods... Uh, market, like the store, when I say that. <laughs> I, I think you guys would be well-versed enough to know that that's not the case, but you go to the average person and say, oh, get on a whole food diet. They're like, whole foods has a diet? It's like, no, no, no. Whole foods doesn't have a diet. Not that I know of, at least. A whole food diet means that you're eating real single ingredient food, <laughs> okay? So if you're eating chicken, it is just chicken. If you're eating broccoli, it is just broccoli. Even better yet, maybe the food that you're buying does not have an ingredient label. And the only way it can't have an ingredient label is if you're just getting real food. So, I think whole foods would be something that makes a lot of sense. Organic is still very sensible when you can. Local organic is even better. Uh, Not to get too confusing, but local and possibly not organic could often even be sometimes better, depending on that specific farm and where this is grown, because certainly... I remember when I was just getting into this health stuff, I would eat this huge bowl of kale and blueberries. That was literally it. It was just kale and just blueberries, both organic. I don't know how I even came up with that or got into that, but it was a large bowl. And I remember going to, I'll just uh, call it a chain grocery store, a lot of locations they have, and the organic kale there, it looked okay, certainly looked better than their conventionally grown kale, but then... I went to the health food store right down the road the next day. Probably, like, I spend a lot of time in grocery stores, by the way. I don't know. Can you guys leave us a comment somewhere? Uh, you can actually do it now. We switched our platform to Podbean. So if you search for the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive on Podbean, you can actually comment on the podcast and these episodes. I would love to know if people out there that are in our space, for whatever reason, spend more time at the grocery store than the average person. And I don't mean necessarily the time spent literally in it. I mean, I go very frequently. Like I go almost every other day. I find myself at a grocery store, maybe even every day. (laughs) Not the point. The point is I head up to this health food store and I see the organic green kale there. And this was grown locally. They have these uh, really cool stickers at this place that are for within 100 miles. So they have these stickers that they'll throw on the produce. And you can see that your stuff was grown within 100 miles. I always thought that was awesome. Now, of course, that depends on the seasonal nature of the produce that you're buying, but most of the time, they really do a great job at sticking with keeping the majority of their produce within that 100-mile limit. So how amazing would that be if all these stores did that? And actually, that allows them to lower the cost a little bit. This is another reason why local sometimes can be good, even if it's not necessarily organic. But I go up there, and I'm just like, wow, I cannot believe how different this looks Even the taste was kind of different. I mean, the texture was different. It just looked better. It was a healthier plant. And of course, you know, you could just have a bad batch one day. So I did make sure to go in again and see like, all right, is this a consistent thing that's happening or what's the deal there? And yeah, sure enough. I mean, it really did just look that much different all the time. And some of that probably had to do with the kale from the chain grocery store being shipped in from somewhere else. I I would assume that's very likely, but nonetheless, It just goes to show you that there are these differences between non-organic local, local organic, organic not local. There are many things you got to watch out for, okay? So let's just say you somehow have access to local organic, which you very well may. So we have whole foods. We have local organic. Seasonal, I think, is a really underestimated thing. And this is tough because, listen, we have listeners all around the world, but still the majority is in America at this time. America is the number one melting pot. We are absolutely the number one melting pot of the world. And so as cool as that is, and as beautiful of a thing as that is, I'm always hesitant to say the seasonality thing because I'm I'm never sure. You know, if we get someone that came from an equatorial region of the world, maybe first generation even, and now they're living in Maine, which is a In case you don't know this and living in another part of the world, that's very far northeast USA. Or maybe you're in Washington state, which would be the very far northwest USA. Well, I guess technically far northwest would be Alaska, but um, contiguous USA would be far uh, far northwest would be Washington state. So you just took someone that has an equatorial background and now took them to a place that gets quite cold and is very different from where they originated from. So should they be eating seasonally? I don't, I don't really have the answer to that yet. Let's just go with the idea that you somehow are living even remotely close to the latitude that your ancestors would have lived on. And I know for myself, you know, being in Pennsylvania, I'm from Northern European descent, and certainly there is a difference. But I think the one cool thing is, I think what really matters for the seasonality conversation is this idea of actually having the same seasons. And what I mean by this is, if you're on the equator, you're not really going to have a winter, right? However, in Pennsylvania, similarly to north uh, northern Europe, we're going to have seasons. I mean, they're going to have it a little worse than us, but like, yes, there is a warm time of year, and then yes, there is a frigid cold time of year. So things are changing, and you can kind of change your eating accordingly. So assuming that you're in a situation like that, where you're even remotely close to where your ancestors might have lived for the majority of the time they were on this earth, then I do think seasonal is really beneficial. I wouldn't necessarily be going out and eating a banana in the middle of winter in the United States, for example. And I mean places that you're actually experiencing winter, like the northern United States. Two reasons for that. One, the more obvious one, is that anytime you take something that grows on or in something away from its place and start shipping it places, it is losing nutritional value. So that's going to apply even in summer, right? If you take a banana, even though that would grow in summer, and you ship it to a place it doesn't grow, you're going to lose that nutritional value. But there's another thing that not many people know. And it's just so amazing when you read this stuff. Nature just has this set up beautifully. How interesting would it be if the same light from the sun... That would be around and hanging out in summer when these crops actually grow was also something that helped humans process these things. Here's what I mean by this: carbohydrates, such as you know, the carbs found in a banana, can really spike your blood glucose, get stuff pumping up. But again, you know, a banana, let's say bananas did grow in Pennsylvania, they're not going to grow in the middle of winter. They'd grow in the summer. And there's a very specific type of light that comes out in summer. It's a higher UV light. That's why you can get vitamin D and why you can burn. I'll post this study in the show notes for the real detectives and nerds out there. (laughs) But check this out. Long-term sub suberythemal and erythemal UVR. So uh, real quick, what that means is UVR is ultraviolet radiation. So UVB, UVA, whatever. UVB, I think they're referring to uh, more specifically in this study, but it's not really important, honestly, for the sake of this conversation. So you have the ultraviolet radiation. Erythemal um, refers to the dose, basically, of UVR that would lead to like a reddening of the skin or a sunburn. Now, we don't want th- In my opinion, you never want that. And they're still saying that there's benefit with that. So the long-term sub-erythemal would definitely be what you would want to go for, right? You don't want to be burning out there. That's pretty bad, in my opinion. But regardless, long-term sub and erythemal UVR significantly suppressed weight gain, glucose intolerance, insulin resistance, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease measures, and serum levels of fasting insulin, glucose, and cholesterol in male mice fed a high-fat diet. Many of these benefits of UVR were not reproduced by vitamin D supplementation, by the way. Now, I understand that this is something done in mice, but what this is showing us is that Light has a direct effect on what we can and can't eat. So the reason I wanted to throw that in is because that's probably not something you're typically hearing when people are talking about eating local and seasonal. Not the main focus of today's conversation, but nonetheless something to think about, right? Kind of cool. Okay, so we have the whole foods, we have organic and local if we can, and we have seasonal. I think those are some fundamental things that we could agree on as being pretty darn good and very effective in terms of getting one's body as healthy as possible. Okay, now what do we do for all the other aspects of this? (laughs) Macronutrient ratios, types of foods, there's a lot of other things that you can do out there. What foods do you never eat? What foods do you eat in abundance of? And this is where the FDN Thrive system is different. You're never going to catch us saying, Oh, just do vegan, just do pescatarian, just do paleo, whatever. No, we are going to actually take the time to work with you as an individual, analyze the lab results, and then educate you. And of course, you're always the one making the decision, right? We're just providing the education. We're going to educate you as to what we believe might be the most optimal way for you to eat, not in general even, but at this specific time in your life, and at this specific point of your healing journey. Because I'll tell you from first-hand experience going through the FDN system, I am not eating the same way right now as I was three months into my protocol. My body has healed. My body has changed. Things can be allowed in that might not have been in before. That's the beauty of actually having a system. It's not a one-size-fits-all diet. It's figuring out what is best going to serve you and what you're dealing with right now. And how the heck do we do that? Well, one, we consider your amount of stress that you're under. Because yes, a trained professional will know that the foods can change a little bit. The macronutrient ratios can certainly change a little bit depending on how much stress you're under. What specific illnesses are you dealing with? And especially, what are the labs showing? This is why we utilize food sensitivity testing. Guys, we use one of the best food sensitivity tests in the world, and that's not our opinion. You can just look up the science behind it. It's called the MRT by Oxford Biomedical Laboratories. I did a whole podcast on this, I think, back in uh, pre-episode 20, probably. Don't quote me on it. Definitely just go check it out, though. And rather than test for one way that the body can have an immune response to a food, it indirectly tests for thousands of ways that the body can react to a food. So that's going to be important. And even if, there, let's say there was one type of diet philosophy that actually did work for everyone, food sensitivities alone would be the reason why that could never actually work in practice. Even if we knew at the core everyone should be paleo, it will not work for everyone unless you are considering other factors. Because yes, maybe paleo is great, but I have an immune response to beef and you don't. Beef is typically a staple of a paleo diet. How am I going to be doing then if I have a high inflammatory response to this food and you have virtually none? Paleo is going to work great for you. It's going to be terrible for me. We also need to consider what's going on in your gut. This is one of the reasons we use the stool pathogen test. And yes, you can correlate the stuff going on in people's guts to what should be on their plate. If you had a nasty little case of candida, which is like this yeast-fungi type of thing, for those that don't know, that thing loves processed carbohydrates and sugar. It's going to eat it right up. (laughs) Again, doesn't mean you need to never have carbohydrates again ever, but perhaps for you at this time, we should ease back just a little bit to not be feeding our little candida friends finally we use something called the metabolic typing diet and this thing's really interesting it's not one diet at all it's something that actually considers your heritage your background i was kind of mentoring mentioning that equatorial stuff before right like did you actually grow up on the equator that would be something to know and we can kind of base your macronutrient ratios and stuff like that on that now i'm way oversimplifying the metabolic typing system but that's just one of many things that it can do for people Last thing I'll say tonight, just to really bring this home, kind of a cool story real quick. has nothing to necessarily do with the FDN Thrive system, but we do think like this. And so it has to do with it in this way. Early 1900s, this guy named Weston A. Price went out. He was a dentist. And he was wondering why everyone's jaw was so messed up. And what he meant is, like, you know, people have these teeth growing in weird. There's, like, uh, problems with the wisdom teeth. All this stuff's going on, right? Why is this happening? It doesn't make any sense that an animal that shouldn't have access to surgeries and dentists just has messed up teeth. Like that wouldn't really be a huge advantage biologically. Now he originally thought and believed that it must be because every human being was supposed to be eating a vegan diet. And what was so interesting about his research is he found the exact opposite, but also some other really interesting facts just for the record, and we're not saying that we necessarily recommend this, I know this isn't everyone's thing, but just to point out what he did find, of all the indigenous tribes that he studied, and they were from all over the world, you know, from Africa to South America to the Inuits um, in Nunavut, Canada, which is like one of the most northern provinces. It might be the most northern province, I don't actually know. It's definitely up there, though, very cold. <laughs> what he found is these people, all these people, actually ate very different diets. And yet they all lived very healthy lives. There was some strange overlap and strange just in the sense of not what you'd necessarily expect given the state of the world today and what you find in your local supermarket. Every single tribe, every single tribe, the main similarity was that they all ate raw animal products. All of them except one ate raw organ meats. We're talking brain, we're talking intestines, and they're not even cooking that stuff up, they're eating it raw. Muscle meat got fed to the dogs. And then that one tribe close to the equator, they didn't actually eat any organ meats at all, but they did eat raw dairy uh, from the animals. So no vegans, worth mentioning, I suppose. People eating raw organ meats universally, even though these tribes are indigenous people and they've never had any communication with each other and they're from all over the world. But again, outside of that, there really wasn't many similarities Other than, you guessed it, local, inherently organic obviously, seasonal, and believe it or not, this stuff didn't come in a package. (laughs) The raw intestine did not come in a package with salt and pepper on it, so it was a whole food. (laughs) So this is why any good system and a place that is able to... Get the results that we're able to get because, guys, we have enough episodes now. You know, we no one is questioning whether or not the FDN Thrive system works. What I talk to people about is like they're asking, How the heck does this work so well? How is this doing so well for so many people? It's like, Okay, the system is the same. How you work within the system is going to be bio individualized, that's why this works. And we do that with supplementation, we do that with how we handle the protocols for certain things with the stool pathogen testing or any other testing that we do, and we certainly do it with the dietary stuff. Even if you don't go work with FDN Thrive, please, please find a place, good luck finding the place, but find a place (laughs) that is going to actually address you as an individual and is not so crazy as to think that 7 billion people are supposed to be eating the exact same foods. Again, you don't really need to be a PhD level scientist to just kind of say that out loud and realize, hmm, doesn't that sound a little stupid? We think so too. (laughs) And so if you go searching around and you can't find that place, you know where to find us www.fdnthrive.com. Click that Get Started Here button and we'll get on a call with you. The calls are free, by the way, and we can help figure out if this program is even for you. There is a percentage of people that it's just not for, okay? It's actually a decent percentage, but we can sort it out on the phone. Most likely, you'll talk to me, which will be fun. I'd love to talk to you, especially if you listen to the podcast regularly. We'll get some feedback from it. <laughs> At the very least, we'll get you on the right direction to figure out where you need to go next. We'll never just get off the phone and say, oh, sorry, can't help, have a good day. Never, ever, ever will that ever be done. It has never been done, period. So again, if you want people to actually focus on a bio-individual approach, ftnthrive.com, And if you want additional tips about all the things that we talk about on here, I don't mention this nearly enough, go give us a follow on Instagram. You know, we're still actively growing it. We have a lot of great content considering how small it is because I just don't talk about it enough. And that's just Thrive on Instagram. Huge shout out to our woman, Catherine, who is always making the cool graphics on there and... Actually, she really does most of the stuff on there, to be honest. (laughs) So if you like what you're seeing there, shout out to Catherine. And if nothing else, if you take nothing else from this episode today, please just use your head a little bit. Do not fall for the dogma of one dietary camp. Don't get indoctrinated by it. And then you're trying this for years at a time and wondering, oh my God, I must be doing something wrong. I'm not getting better. It's like maybe that diet just isn't for you. Maybe it just isn't for you at the specific time. And one day it will be for you. You need a system that can figure out what is going to be most optimal for your situation at this given time. I hope that makes sense. Hey, that'll be all for today. If you like the information that we're sharing on here and are feeling extra generous, you're feeling a little kind, Please type in the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive on Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star review and a few kind words if you're feeling especially generous. And hey, I might just shout your review out on the podcast. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys again soon. Yes, we will be back with our normal interview schedule next week, but I keep getting this question a lot. And so... As I've done in other podcasts, Solo, you may have heard this before, I like to have these as a reference because then when people don't kind of understand, like, wait, so what diet do you use? Here's the episode you're going to get to hear. (laughs) You guys have a great night, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Health Detective Podcast. If you are ready to finally work with a real health detective on your health journey so that you can get well and stay well naturally, visit us at fdmthrive.com and click the Get Started Here button.